Welcome world to Nobody's a Nobody podcast with me, Mike McVeigh. In this episode, we will be interviewing my friend Holly Stewart, and we'll be talking to our friend Jarvix for his hot dog song of the week. If you haven't already, subscribe on the pod player of your choice so you can stay notified of upcoming episodes. Though this podcast is not currently sponsored, I want to give a shout out to the Cornish Smokehouse in South Oklahoma City. This is the preferred barbecue restaurant for my family and I. They serve good portions of meat for a decent price. It is a locally owned, family run, and operated business. If you're looking for some mmm barbecue, check out the Cornish Smokehouse. They're located off of Northeast Corner of Southwest 119th and May. Be sure to give them some love. As this is a brand new podcast, you and I will be learning how to do this together. Starting an interview-based podcast has been a goal of mine for the past four to five years, and several circumstances led to me finally pushing through and starting. On April 1st, I had a surgery that kept me out of work for over a month. While recovering, I tried to find a hobby. I love listening to interview-based podcasts, but there's almost always a focus on popular and celebrity-style guests. I want to hear the stories from the more regular people, or the nobodies, if you will. This is both exciting and nerve-wracking, but I was moving at a very slow, snail-like pace. Then my friend Rob Trotter won the Oklahoma Inspirational Speech Contest a few weeks ago by encouraging all of us to take a deep breath and jump in. Sometime soon we'll have to get him on the show to talk to us about that. But I did jump in, and here we are. This podcast is to collect stories from us nobodies, and hopefully they will make the kind of impact on you and on me that will help us enjoy this life more while making the world a better place. Today's guest is my friend Holly Stewart. She is a professional speaker, an author, and a marathon runner. She also is involved with minimalism and has started Heal Our World here in Oklahoma City. So let's have a wonderful conversation with Holly Stewart. What is the one thing you want everybody to know about you? If they're, if they're mentioning Holly Stewart and they're talking about you, what do you want them to, what's the first thing you want to come to mind? The first thing I would like them to know is that I try to make my life a message. And I want to show people that they can live their best life possible and be the best human possible, you know, no matter what's happened to them. And we've all gone through unexpected tragedies before. And I think we can all identify with them or sometimes over identify with them to a certain extent. And I want to show people that they don't have to attach themselves to that idea that they can follow their dreams and they can live their best selves, you know, whatever that happens to be for a person. Can you talk a little bit about minimalism and just, yeah. Yeah. The minimalism movement really caught on a few years ago and it was predominantly founded by the minimalists. They are a trademarked group um, as well as Joshua Becker and, and some significant others. And I first became aware of it a few years ago and it became a, a really compelling way to look at life for me is when a lot of people think of minimalism, they think of this aesthetic lifestyle, like, okay, I need to live like a monk or a nun. I just live in this four by foot, four by four foot closet with the bare necessities. And that's actually not what minimalism is. It's only keeping those things in your life that bring you joy or add to your life. And that can be things as it is in a lot of people's cases. You know, a lot of people have more than they actually need or want to have around their homes. Right. And that can go as far as like what types of relationships you want to have in your life. 
that can be you know, what you want to spend your time on. A lot of people spend time on things that are obligation. Well, I, I should be doing this. But then when you step back and ask yourself, okay, is this actually giving you joy? You know, is this making my life more fulfilling? And sometimes the surprising answer is no. And we think, okay, well, maybe this is something that I need to cut out or curtail and devote my time to something different. And since you know, I took over the minimalist chapter, I, I've really tried to focus on the latter part of that. You know, I think we all know how to purge our houses of things, at least gradually. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, during this pandemic, we've had more people join the group than I've seen in the past few years. And I think it's because people all of a sudden were spending more time at home and they're thinking, why, why do I have all this clutter in the closet? Right. And so it was a prime time for them to purge those items. And I even read that Goodwill was getting overwhelmed with the number of donations. So that, that's usually where people start with minimalism is ridding the physical items, but then it becomes more about, okay, what relationships, um, what ways do I spend time that actually bring me joy? One of the things that I, we've met a few times before this specific event, but to me, you're, this sounds really bad because I consider you a much closer friend now. But at the time, I was like, oh, you're just another person in a, another Toastmasters club, speaking, competing, whatever. But there was a specific competition where I was the Toastmaster of the day, and you were competing in the Division O Table Topics Contest. And the question was, what in your life would you change, basically? That's the gist of it. What are What's some things that you would do differently so your life would be different? And you talked about, at that time, which this is now four years ago, that you talked about that you actually made that change approximately five or six years prior to that. And what are some of those changes that you did to turn your life around? And what brought you to that point where you felt like you had to turn your life around? Now, without going into this really long side story, I got to the point when I was 40, 41 years old that I was feeling dissatisfied with the way I'd done some things. I'd been an operations manager for 20 years and I enjoyed it and learned a lot, but it wasn't really something I wanted to continue doing, excuse me. And it was also a threshold for me in that my dad passed away when I was eight years old and he died when he was 41. And so it was really weird to get to this point where I'd lived as long as my father. And I think subconsciously I'd always kind of played it safe because my father died in a car accident and he was somewhat of a daredevil. And I thought, I don't want to cut my life short because of that. I mean, I, I had my mother to consider as well. And also, you know, I, I think I was living for my mom and maybe some other people. And I got to this point where I got really, really depressed. And it was when all these different things converged that I won't go into right now. But it was one of the worst episodes of my life. And when most people think of me, or at least initially they think, oh yeah, Holly's this cheery, goofy person, not knowing that you know, sometimes I struggle with these spells of depression and that you know, I've gone through um, some tragic things you know, like we all have that, you know, I, I grew up where, you know, I was 
show them, you know, put on your brave face. You know, don't necessarily show that to people. Right. Don't tell people you're having a rough time necessarily. And so I got to the point where I didn't really have a choice with that. And I thought, okay, you know, what would make my life more fulfilling at this point? You know, I, I feel like I'm dying inside of depression. And I thought, I would really love to go out and see more of the world. And, and I'd done traveling, quite a bit of traveling at that point. But it was more like the adventurous street that I'd never explored before. All of a sudden I thought, I love to run marathons and I love to visit different cultures and countries. Why not run international marathons? Now, why not do something completely crazy like climb, climb Mount Kilimanjaro? And I, I knew it would worry the heck out of my mother. <clears throat> and it was even, a, you know, a, a little bit crazy for me. But I thought, no, you know, if, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die happy. <laughs> not sitting at home feeling really depressed. And not to say I have a death wish. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> death wish Holly. That's your new nickname. <laughs> Charles Bronson would be scared. <laughs> Oh gosh, now no, I've given you a tagline. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm not going out of the way to, to put my life at risk, but I guess one could argue that I was doing it more than a lot of people would. I mean, going to a country that's 10,000 miles away, Tanzania, and, and climbing the largest freestanding mountain in the world. That's what brings me joy. That's what I'd like to do. And you know what? I didn't die. I haven't died yet. <laughs> and I remember I felt this great sense of relief when I turned 42 and I thought, wow, I outlived my father. And I even said something to my mom about it. And I said, yeah, wow, I, I've really crossed the threshold. I outlived dad. And, and she just laughed and she said, honey, you're going to outlive him by many years. I hope so. So far I have by four years. It's, as far as the traveling goes, my mother got used to the idea. She didn't love it, you know, me running to the four corners of the earth and doing things like this. But she just wanted me to be happy. And so you know, she adjusted to it. And and I think she got to a place where she thought, okay, that, that's just what Holly does. And, and so th those were, that was one piece of the change that I made. And then also as well, um, I felt really compelled um, to get into the humanitarian social piece of it. Now, the example that I've been brought up with is that, you know, my mother um, was an absolute angel. I mean, she was one that would help out anybody she came into contact with. She wasn't necessarily one that was out there um, advocating for social causes or getting involved with charities, but she was the person that got to know everybody she met and she made them feel special. And if she right. found out somebody had any sort of need, like needed some caretaking or needed her time or needed some of her advice, uh, she was free to give it. And, and she had time for everybody. Uh, you know, she passed away six months ago and I'm still hearing stories about how much she impacted them. Uh, which, which is so beautiful to me. And, you know, I don't know that I could even live up to what she did in that arena. But her, for her, that was her living her best life. And I thought, where am I moved to make a difference? 
And so I had this idea pop into my head when I was meditating in November 2016, and this phrase popped into my head, you know, heal our world. And I know it's not a particularly original phrase. In fact, it's a Michael Jackson song. And I thought one of the, the best things that we can do is be of service to each other. It, it could be in the capacity that my mother did, or in my case, I felt moved to get involved in some social causes or um, to work with some disadvantaged people. And so the very next night I started this group on Facebook and I started it as a meetup.com group. And my original idea was to get a group together every month to volunteer at a random charity in Oklahoma city to help out the local communities. So I thought there, there's so many meetups centered around interests and happy hours. I really saw a niche for people wanting to go out and, and do community service. And so it, with the Facebook group, you know, a lot of people joined it and the volunteerism was a really strong piece of it. I mean, we volunteered at places like Feed the Children and Regional Food Bank of Oklahoma and Infant Crisis Services, and even some other charities I'd never heard of before. And it was wonderful because it, it gave people that opportunity to give back and to, to feel like they were making a difference. Right. And the other piece of it is that I started posting inspirational memes every day. And that seemed to be the piece that caught on more than anything. Right now there's about 550 people in the group. And I would say, when I do have my volunteer efforts, when there isn't a pandemic going on, <laughs> <laughs> I've had to put that on hold recently. Generally, there's like maybe 10 to 20 people who get involved in that piece of it. But really, it's, it's more people wanting to see the messages. And, and I think what people are yearning for right now, and especially with, with all the strife and unrest going on in the world right now, they want that positivity. They want that reminder that I can be a force for good, not I personally, but they can be a force for good. Reminders of their greater capacity as humans to be kind and be compassionate. You know, I don't think it's something people are necessarily born with. I think it's a way of life and that right. anybody can learn to be compassionate and giving and kind. And by appealing to people's greater selves, I think that that is what has really resonated with them. And one thing that's interesting to me about Heal Our World is that originally it was mostly my Facebook friends who were joining the group mm -hmm. that especially in the past two months, I've had <clears throat> people I'm not connected with at all on Facebook asking to join the group. And I don't know how they've heard about it. I mean, I'm assuming it's just the, you know, the, the viral algorithmic function of Facebook, but, right. but to me, that's a really positive sign that people are, are really yearning for that. You know, they, they don't want to get involved in all the nastiness going on. They, they want reminders of how they can be good and that they are good. And to me, that's been the most fulfilling part of it. Everybody keeps saying like on Facebook, like I don't like to be on Facebook or on certain kind of chat channels because it's always so negative and everything. And my response is always, well, why don't you do something about that? Why don't you purposely change how you interact on Facebook and it might not change everybody else, but it's kind of like the starfish in the sea. You can at least be one of the, 
lives have been changed by it. One of the things that I think inspired me even four years ago when you gave that speech about what you were going to do different or what you had done differently is that, and I say this to a lot of people because it's not just one person that inspired me to start getting healthy. Uh, there was probably about 15, 20 people overall, and each of them in a different way had helped impact, but you you turned around, you're the only speaker in that group of table topics of saying, uh, I'm not gonna change something. I, I'm already in the process of changing. I'm already doing the right thing. And just that mindset was a very positive thing. So when I started last year to become healthier, you were definitely part of that inspiration, even though it was from four years ago. Uh, my mind doesn't always make me process quickly. Is all the unrest that's going on right now giving you trouble and you want to find a way to help and you don't know how? Well, one way you can do that is to help out Our Neighborhood Empowered in Oklahoma City. That's O-N-E-O-K-C dot O-R-G. They have everything from a kids club program that's after school for kindergarten to fifth graders. They've got a restorative justice program for middle and high school students that offers a substitute for things such as juvenile detention and heavy fines. And they also have a life and legacy program for adults to be able to help that offers literacy classes, legal, free legal services, health and wellness classes for adults, as well as wellness screening, COBA, baby care, and a support program for mothers with infant children. You have the opportunity to make a difference for as little as $5 a month. Our Neighborhood Empowered, O-N-E-O-K-C dot I believe it was last year, you did something pretty impressive uh, with uh, some marathons. Double Dragon Challenge I did in Asia. Mm-hmm. That was so much fun, and it was something that was completely unexpected. That's a case where I think the universe or divine spirit or God, you know, whatever term people prefer to use, um, kind of interfered in my favor. It's like, okay, Holly, you're going to do this. <laughs> it's, there have been a couple of times in my running career where I thought, oh, my running career is over. My marathon career is over because I am getting older and, you know, my, my body's wearing out. You know, it's kind of like a used car. You have to start you know, replacing parts and taking care of them. And <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's where I am. I thought, oh, goodness, you know, I can't go out and run like 10 miles without training, you know, without killing myself. And so for about a year before I went to Asia, I'd been having back issues where, I mean, it just killed me to run any sort of distance. And originally the goal I set when I turned 40 was I was going to run a full marathon on all seven continents. Well, I modified that goal and I said, okay, I'm going to run a half marathon in Asia. That's going to be the Great Wall Marathon. And I'll do that. I'll do what I can. <laughs> Deep down, I was not happy about that because that, that wasn't my original goal. So I even get to Asia and there's nothing like being around other runners that are a bad influence. And there's someone like, <laughs> do the full marathon. Yes. <laughs> and two days before the Great Wall Marathon, everybody has to go through an inspection day where they walk the segment of the wall that will traverse once if you're doing a half marathon and twice if you're doing the full marathon. And I remember thinking, there's no way. This, this thing is hard enough to walk. And I even asked a, a couple of my friends I met from Tanzania who've run the Great Wall Marathon, I said, what do you think? Is, is this something I could wing it on? And they're like, no, you don't wing it 
Like we, we trained extensively for it. I said, okay, so that, that settled my decision. Well, then like four hours before I had to wake up for the bus to take us over to the Great Wall, I looked at my race packet and I, you know, I always lay everything out, you know, my wardrobe, you know, my shoes, and my magnetic strip that, that times me so I don't forget anything because I'm, I'm just, I'm comatose in the morning when I wake up anyways. And I look at my packet and I see I'm registered for the full marathon. <laughs> How did that happen? And, and I knew that if I really pushed it, I could you know, go to a race official right before the race and say, hey, can you change this? This is a mistake. And I said, you know what? no, something feels right about this. Even if I don't end up finishing the marathon, I'll have at least tried. Like, I know I can run a half marathon. That's, that's not an issue. And so I said, okay. And I, and I even told um, our two coordinators of marathon tours, I said, yeah, somehow I got signed up for the full marathon. And they're like, oh, really? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll change that. And I said, no, it, it's okay. Keep it like it is. <laughs> and so <laughs> I thought, okay, th- th- this is kind of crazy. And so, you know, we, we started out um, in this place called Yin and Yang Square, um, which isn't... Um, too rigorous and we had to run along a highway for several miles and and through some farmland before we finally got to the really rigorous part where we had to run up through some mountains right and i was feeling okay until mile 10 and and (laughs) it just my my legs about gave out from under me and so this other runner came upon me and he said are you okay and i said not really i'm feeling (laughs) about to pass out here. He said, here, take some of this goo. It, it, and goo is this concentration of sugar and caffeine that athletes um, ingest, you know, to give them quick energy. Right. So I took some goo and I was like, yes, I'm feeling like a million bucks now. And the interesting thing about this marathon is that it had a time limit. And if you weren't back at Yin and Yang Square by I believe it was by 2 p.m., then they won't let you finish the marathon. Oh, wow. They, they said there's no way you can finish it within the time allotted. And so as I was running it, you know, I was stopping and taking pictures and having fun with the locals. And, and, and I just told myself, you know, this isn't, um, this isn't a competition. You know, have fun, enjoy the experience. Right. And as soon as I got to about, I'd say it was, mile 17 I thought you know what I think I can make the cutoff and so I just gave it everything (laughs) (laughs) and I wasn't sure if I was going to make it or not but when I arrived at yin and yang square I actually yelled at the race director Mike did I make it and he goes you're 30 minutes ahead keep going (laughs) and I thought yes and and so once we passed Yin and Yang Square the second time, we had to go up the wall the opposite way that we did at the beginning of the race. And that was brutal. I, I remember I was going through points where I'd go up a few of the steps and then I'd stop for a breath and go up a few more steps. And I just had to take it a little at a time. And, and I ended up meeting this lady named Tori and we just started talking and we're just like, oh God, but you know, this is rough. <laughs> we started really pushing each other. And 
we got each other through the, the rest of the race and, and, and we finished with about 15 minutes of spare. Nice. And I thought, wow. I mean, that, that was probably one of the most satisfying running experiences I've ever had because it was completely unexpected. And that just went to show me, like, we're always capable of so much more than we think. I didn't even know I was going to run the full marathon until a few hours before. I didn't know if I was going to make the cutoff and finish, but I did. And I lived to tell the tale. <laughs> and then I believe it was a few days later, you did something else that I'm still completely boggled how and why, but go ahead and go forward with that. Yes. <laughs> so, a few days later, we went to the country of Bhutan. You know, a lot of people haven't heard of it, but it's a small mountain kingdom in the Himalayas. And it, it's pretty much been um, insulated until very recently. If I had to compare it to any other country, it's very similar to Nepal and architecture and culture. And, okay. and it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Well, they had the Thunder Dragon Marathon there. Again, I was going to do the half marathon. And there was this man in my group, oh gosh, I think he's in his 70s, named Tom. And he said, the night, this is the night before the, the marathon. He said, right. come on, Holly, you can do the full marathon. I'm like, are you insane? I just did the full Great Wall Marathon a few days ago. He's like, come on, no one else in the group is doing both full marathons. You can do it. <laughs> And there's a reason why no one else does two marathons in eight days. Yeah. What really got going was uh, Anne, the female race director, was like, Holly, no other woman in the group is doing both full marathons. And just the feminist in me, you know, oh, really? Okay, I'm going to do it. And so at first I was thinking, oh, you know, this isn't any big deal. I mean, the course didn't look bad. I mean, certainly the Great Wall looks far more intimidating because you right. see the 5,180 steps. This was you know, running through the mountains, but it, it just doesn't ostensibly look as bad. Oh, no. it, it, it was way harder than the Great Wall. I mean, the altitude was between 9,000 and 11,000 feet. And the Great Wall, even though it had a lot of steps, was only about 3,000 feet. So, I mean, it, it didn't have a, a, you know, a really high altitude that deprived you of your oxygen. Right. But Bhutan was the hardest marathon I've ever run. I mean, it was brutal. <laughs> and I, I still can't believe I finished it again. I, I finished it in time. <laughs> I was the maybe second to last person or the last person, but I'm like, Hey, I finished it. <laughs> I know, and the funny thing is there are whole other levels of crazy out there that are worse than I am. And, and that's what I tried to tell my mom. I said, I'm, I'm only at the tip of crazy compared to a lot of people I know. Right. <laughs> But probably for your mom that you hit the iceberg of crazy, <laughs> the base I of the did, iceberg. <laughs> the, the one thing that a lot of people have come back and told me um, since she passed is, I mean, I mean, she brags about her kids anyway, so that's just what she does. But she said she talks so much about how you ran the Great Wall and how she was just amazed and she was so proud. And so, you know, that that made me feel really good. I, mean, I knew she was supportive, but 
the fact that you know, she was able to step back and go, wow, I know my, my daughter did this. <laughs> yeah. Heck, I'm impressed you're my friend, so I, I can't imagine the mom's love for her daughter doing something amazing like that. And I think she had some reason to be concerned because I believe there was a marathon that you did in South America that didn't turn out quite so beneficial as your time in Asia. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Hinka Trail Marathon was going to be my South American marathon to run. And <laughs> the Inca Trail is really meant to be hiked, not run in the first place, but crazy people do it. And I'd met a couple of friends in Tanzania who had run the Inca Trail Marathon and they said, oh, you have to do it. It's so fun. And like I said, nothing like other runners being a bad influence. <laughs> that's when my back problems started a few months before I did that marathon that I thought, you know, I'm going to go for it anyway. <clears throat> Anyways, excuse me, the worst thing that's going to happen is I don't finish. And I still think I could have finished the marathon with my back issues, but I went a little <laughs> bit crazy two days before the marathon and one went whitewater rafting and my friends and I and our raft um, nearly capsized in some rapids <laughs> around some jagged rocks and, and I, I didn't even understand at the time what kind of danger we were in. But we managed to get out and if that wasn't adrenaline inducing enough, once we got back um, from the river, there was a zip line. And I thought, oh, okay, it's, it's Peru. How fun. Everybody else is going zip lining. I don't want to miss out. <laughs> well, it's safe to say that they don't have the same OSHA standards that we do. <laughs> and so when, when I got up to the platform, um, the coordinator said, okay, well, to break, you need to be wearing these gloves and you need to squeeze onto the cable onto the cable like what if I can't stop myself and so I just ended up getting really confused and I didn't break and I slammed into the platform on the other side of the river and really hurt my ankle I mean it, it, it was this big and I thought oh gosh what have I done and I couldn't even move for a little bit and right the coordinator had to basically attach me to himself and take me back across the river on the zip line. And, and so I thought, okay, th this is probably not good for the marathon. And I asked my cousin who is a doctor in, back in the States, I'm like, what do you think? Can I do this? And she said, well, just rest it for a couple of days and, and see how you do it. <laughs> okay. Well, we're getting taken to Inca ruins. There's no way I'm going to miss out on walking up the steps of Inca ruins. And, and so I was hobbling around on it for a couple of days and I was even told in it by one of the race coordinators, he's just like, no, I don't think you should do the full marathon. You know, do, there was an inkathon that was 16 miles. I said, no, nope, no, nope, I'm here to do the full marathon. <laughs> and, uh, and so I attempted the full marathon, but it like mile 10, I, just couldn't go on anymore. My back was no. killing me. My ankle was killing me. And it was obvious I wasn't going to make it in time. Before you, I want to, if I remember correctly, was, didn't you have a little bit of a hard time getting to the marathon on time? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing 
is right there. Well, we <laughs> out the night before, about a mile away to the finish line. And so, you know, I, I tried to wake up in time. Again, I'm not a morning person, especially if I have to wake up at 2.30 in the morning. And so everybody was able to jog over to the starting line. Well, I had to hobble over there and I, I barely got to the starting line in time for the race to start. And it's at this point that you say, hey, I can barely make it to the starting line, but I can run 26 miles. No problem, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you're at mile 10 and you're starting to wear out. Continue from there. Sorry. No, that's, it, it's okay. I wasn't sure how much detail you wanted me to go into. <laughs> but then the most exciting part was that, you know, I, I told the coordinators, it, like, I, I can't make it the rest of the way. Um, otherwise, I'm pretty sure I would have had to get medevaced down the mountain. And he said, okay, well, we're going to need to make it back over to the I think it was, it was over to the train, which was a seven mile hike. And, and he said, we have to get there in a few hours. And I said, have you looked at me? I'm like, I can't make it there in that amount of time. And so he said, okay, well, you know, let's just get started. And you know, maybe we can rent a horse. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And so we, we go up to this tiny stable and, and the guide who is with me, you know, asked the owner, do you have a horse we can use? And he said, yes. And so we had this black diminutive horse. Tell him the name, tell him the name. <laughs> Diablo. <laughs> Perfect for this marathon already. I thought, oh gosh. I was scared because I'd only ridden a horse one time in my life when I was like, I think eight years old. I'm like, I, I don't know how to ride a horse. I'm like, I, I don't really have a choice. And, you know, again, you know, I, I, I think that was the universe giving me an adventure. Like, hey, you, know, you wanted an adventure. Here you go. <laughs> and, and so, um, the, you know, the, the Inca Trail is you know, very rugged and rocky and hilly. So it's, it, it's not like a horse taking you through on these flat plains. It's just like, you know, we're, we're going up and down on these um, precarious services. And it, it took me a while to get used to it because I, I feel like I was about to fall to one side of the horse and, and fall off that, but I learned, okay, when the horse leans over, lean the opposite way to, to counterbalance it. So I, I got used to it until the horse just randomly decides, no, I'm just going to gun it. <laughs> And so Diablo just takes off and I'm just like, ah, you know, I, I feel like I'm on the set of a movie. Like what is going on here? I don't even know if I can stop this thing. But luckily Diablo ran out of gas <laughs> and stopped, but then he couldn't go on any further. And the guide said, okay, well, he can't make it the rest of the way. So we're going to have to get on a motorcycle, <laughs> a motorcycle. On the Inca Trail. <laughs> so this kid, you know, probably 14 or 15 comes up to me on a motorcycle and it's like, you know, hop on. <laughs> have helmets, none of the safety equipment that you would think of. And I'm like, here we go. I'm, I'm putting my life in the sands. <laughs> and again, I'd only ridden a motorcycle, I think once in my life. It was in college. You know, 
going through the streets of Stillwater. It was not anything close to the <laughs> And so I thought, okay, th th this is getting crazier by the hour that, oh, well, I mean, again, I don't really have much of a choice. And so uh, that was one of the funnest parts of the adventure. I mean, this guy was dodging rocks and I mean, he, he expertly negotiated the whole course. And I got to the point where, you know, I was you know, having fun with it. I'm like, wow, this is really cool to experience the Inca Trail this way. <laughs> and then when we finally got um, to this one point where we were about, I'd say it was about 200 yards away from the river where we had to go over a bridge. He, right. he said, okay, it's too rocky the rest of the way. You know, you'll, you'll have to walk it. And I said, okay, I, I can handle this. <laughs> So it, it was an incredible adventure just to get off the Inca Trail. It wasn't like most races where you say, okay, well, you know, I need to quit the race or they call it DNF, did not finish. And somebody picks you up in a car and just takes you back to the starting line. No, I mean, I, I had to go through um, several modes of transportation. <laughs> so your mom had some justification of not necessarily wanting to go to China and Bhutan uh, to <laughs> do marathons. And I actually got a chance to meet your mom. I believe it was last August or September. I can't remember the exact day. I'll have to look it up. September <laughs> you had the opportunity at one of our local bookstores here in Oklahoma City to, along with a co-author, you had the opportunity to present the book Ready to Fly Volume 2. And you gave a chapter of Living My Own Adventure. And... Uh, and your mom was definitely the most proud person there out of all the people. I think we had almost a hundred people at full circle to get you guys to sign your book and everything. But uh, talk a little bit about, if you don't mind talking a little bit about your chapter and uh, maybe your upcoming book. Or, yeah, or yeah. absolutely. So I, I alluded a little bit to it before. Again, I, I said I could go into a long story at the one of the reasons I went through this really severe episode of depression in November, December, 2016 was because I was coming to terms you know, with a horrific experience that had happened to me. And that's where I was sexually assaulted when I was 13. And it, it was something that I'd lived with my whole life in, in secrecy and shame. And I, I didn't even want to, think about it, much less talk about it. I finally got to a place where if I wanted to grow and heal as a person, you know, I, I needed to work through it. And that was a place where, you know, my mother, you know, who was my best friend and I struggled because she grew up in a generation where you didn't talk about those things. Right. You, you kept it private. And I think she was having a difficult time reconciling the fact in her head, oh, this, this happened to my daughter. And, and she even said to me at one point, like, I was supposed to be there to protect you. And I said, Mom, I, I've never blamed you for what happened. If anything, I blamed myself for all those years. Um, rather than blaming the perpetrators. I mean, that, that's really you know, who's at fault in the incident. But, so my mom, as, as soon as I started 
you know, coming out with my story and sort of vocalizing it. And mm-hmm. um, I could tell my mother was very uncomfortable with it. She would just kind of like, oh, okay, that's Holly doing her thing and, and wouldn't say much. And so it, it was like the, the elephant in the room that we didn't really talk about a whole lot with each other. And it was, that was very difficult for me to deal with because more than anything, I wanted my mother's support. But I had to really reconcile myself to the fact, well, you know, maybe, you know, this isn't something that will ever be easy for her. But, you know, I, I really felt in my heart that I needed to talk about my story. So it would, it would lose its potency. And then, you know, other people could hear about it and, and they wouldn't have to live in shame. That's one thing that I told my mom. I said, mom, I had been quiet about this for 30 years and it's just, it's eaten me inside. And that's what everybody else ends up doing who goes through a similar experience. They just stay silent about it. They live in shame. They blame themselves, think, what could I have done differently? They think, what's wrong with me? You know, I'm, I'm broken. I'm damaged. What good is that doing anybody? And, and it's only by sharing our stories that that we can break out of that shame and that blame and that secrecy. And it, and it's not even just girls or women. I mean, I've, I've had men come up to me and tell me about experiences they've had too. And if it's a stigma for women to talk about, oh gosh, it's certainly a stigma for men to talk about. Right. And so, you know, I finally got to this place where I just said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it with or without, you know, my mom's full support. And, and so even when I told her I was writing the chapter for the book, she was just like, okay, honey, you know, that's great. <laughs> but then when it, when it came out and I told her, Jill, another co-author and I are going to do a book signing at full circle. She goes, oh, really? She goes, well, I want to be there for it. And my mother wasn't the type of person that thought, oh, you know, it's becoming since, what's a good way to put it? She wasn't the type of person that thought, okay, well, it's going to, since my daughter is going to kind of be in a spotlight, I want to get involved. No, she's just like, oh, wow, this is really something she's doing. And I, I think at that point she decided like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to support her in this. And before my presentation at the bookstore, I was so, so nervous. Yeah, I remember that. Mainly because (laughs) she was there and I had friends I went to high school with who were there and and it didn't didn't go along with maybe what they knew about me. And and so I felt like I was coming out of the closet even though I, I don't know exactly what that's like because I'm, I'm not LGBTQ and so I don't know what it's like to come out of the closet, but I can imagine that was the closest equivalent to what I was going to experience with it. And so I remember standing behind some of the books before I came out in front of the audience and I just took five deep breaths. I'm like, okay, you can do this. And the entire time I would not look at my mother. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to see how she was reacting if it wasn't in a way that wasn't encouraging to me. 
And then, you know, after I was finished, you know, I finally looked over at her and she was beaming and she came up to me and she said, I am so proud of you. And I nearly started crying. <laughs> In fact, I kind of am right now because I thought, wow. I mean, my mom has come a long way. I mean, she had to overcome, you know, in her case, 76 years of programming on you know, how to deal with that issue and the fact that this happened to her daughter and especially for her daughter, you know, to kind of break the generational code that she right. grew up with and talk about it. And that was so incredibly meaningful to me because at that point it was icing on the cake. I, I'd finally gotten to a place where I didn't have to have that support from her. Of course, I wanted it more than anything, but I, I'd made a decision, you know, I'm, I'm going to move forward with this, whether you know, she loves the idea or not. And the fact that she completely came around um, was so, so beautiful. And yeah. especially looking back, and you know, we didn't know that she was going to pass away three months later. For that to happen, you know, you know before she left her earthly existence, um, it's even more meaningful. And, and that was actually the last picture we took together was oh, really? um, you and I at the book signing. So um, it, it was truly a blessing the way it worked out, and I'm I'm so so grateful, and I, I'm, I'm grateful to to my mother because she she had to go through so much herself and when it came down to it you know i i always knew that she loved me and supported me and and she was proud of me and to to hear that about something that we weren't exactly eye to eye on was incredible and yeah. You know, and, I, and I hope other people can have that type of experience too. She was definitely very proud of you. And uh, I know that cause, because it's been about six months, um, that's been a little, it's been a recurring theme for you on, on social media. And um, I'm really glad that I got to meet her and I'm glad to get to experience that with you or get to, to be a part of that experience that you had of where, um, she was able to, where you're able to see that corner get turned and stuff. Um, yes, thank you. And, and, and it means a lot to me that you were there too. Yeah, well, uh, all of us at uh, OKC Speakers, uh, we were so proud of you. Um, in fact, while you were busy signing, we were back in uh, like the little mini, I don't know what you'd call it because of how uh, Full Circle Books is set up, but we were in one little room and we were just talking, all of us were just so happy. Um, I'm proud of you. Uh, a couple of them were like, I didn't know that about Holly, but she did such a good job. And it's like, I know, right? <laughs> um, so Holly, I understand that you're working on a book right now that should be coming out sometime within the next uh, hundred years or so. Yes. So this is something that I conceived of a few years ago to write my memoir. It's going to talk about my overall life experiences Originally, it was going to focus a whole lot on the assault 
because you know I feel like it's it's necessary to get that part of the story out there. It, one thing that I was thinking about this morning is that it's interesting the, the evolution I've gone through on that. Where for decades, you know, I, I thought it somehow ruined me or made made me less than, and then I got to the place where, okay, you know, it didn't. You know, this is something that I can talk about now. It's something that I don't have to be ashamed about. And and so I really started getting involved in the advocacy and awareness. And I'm still involved in that. But, you know, I've got to a place where I'm like, oh, that's not all who I am. That That's right. something terrible that happened to me. That that's just a piece of my story. And so I'm, I'm very excited about my book. You know, I, I go through surges where I work on it. it it's going to read um, partially like, um, you know, a woman who has overcome. It's going to be partially a, a travel adventure story. It's going to culminate um, in my story at Kilimanjaro. That's going to be the stopping point and, and how I overcame the depression at the time. And, made those changes that we talked about earlier on how I was going to live a life truer to myself. Right. And so uh, I'm very excited about that. I've, I've written like the first third and the third third, but I need to write the second third of the book. <laughs> do, do we have a estimated date of when we should be able to get copies of it? Well, my plan is to finish up the manuscript this year and then get it over to some publishers. And of course, I'm, I'm learning how all that works right. in terms of getting it published. But I'm, I'm hoping to get it released next year. Do you have a working title? No, I don't. Um, I've had a few people ask me that, and I don't want to force anything. You know, it right. hasn't come to me yet, but I, I figure once I get the whole manuscript out there and as I work with my editors and coaches, you know, we'll come up with the perfect title. Be on the lookout for Holly Stewart's yet unnamed book. Uh, that's going to talk about her life and journey all the way through Kilimanjaro. All right. We do not have an official sponsor, but we do have a partnership with my friend Jarvix's webpage, make Oklahoma weirder.com. It was founded in 2018 and make Oklahoma weirder is an independent online multimedia platform dedicated to covering original local music in the state of Oklahoma. Using a written blog, YouTube channel, social media apps, and a forthcoming podcast, Make Oklahoma Weirder covers and curates local artists and music events through original content. Though it has a soft spot for weirdos, it eagerly welcomes all genres, from new bands and the smallest underground spots to nationally recognized talents. The content of Make Oklahoma Weirder aims to be a professional, positive, and engaging. Whether through reviews, interviews, or news updates, Make Oklahoma Weirder prioritizes understanding and representing the music community. The mission starts first and foremost with an open mind, a focused ear, and a level of dedication only a weirdo would commit to. If you're interested in seeing what makes Oklahoma weird, please visit MakeOklahomaWeirder.com. Holly, it's that time that we're going to do the Circuit Breaker Lockdown questions. All right. I'm not giving you any kind of heads up of what these questions are, correct? Correct. I, right. I have no idea what you have up your sleeve. <laughs> For those who missed the first episode, 
These are questions that were asked on Facebook. I asked people, what were the kinds of questions you would like to be asked if you were in an interview, like in a podcast or radio show? And these were the questions that came out. We do have a couple others that will probably get saved for season two if there is a season two. But we're going to start off, and unlike other people, you're not going to necessarily get softball, hardball in a nice order. We might get the hardest one first and the easiest one last, or who knows? All right. All right. So my friend Rashad asked this question. If you were a tree, what kind of pizza would you eat? (laughs) (laughs) That's very much an applicable question because I know you know that pizza is my favorite food. Absolutely. (laughs) So if I were a tree, what type of pizza would I eat? Uh Uh-huh. Well, (laughs) it wouldn't matter what type of species I am, whether I'm homo sapien or some species of tree. I am going to eat this pizza that I had in Hawaii that was absolutely amazing. It's called Aloha Pizza. And I don't know what kind of crack they put in it, but it is so good. <laughs> it has a really crunchy crust. Um, of course, um, homemade sauce, fresh mozzarella, and it has kind of crispy pepperoni. I, I like my pepperoni kind of crispy. It's a, it's a phenomenal pizza that I've, I've had it twice. I'm going to have to ask, does it have pineapple on it? No, oddly enough, it didn't. I do love wow. pineapple on pizza. Okay, because the last week's guest, they actually said pineapple is the one thing that they would definitely have on it. And now you're eating Hawaiian pizza without pineapple. So I love it. Uh, you're definitely much better. That's one reason we work so well together. No pineapple <laughs> on our pizza. All right. This is from my friend Amanda. If you were to leave this life tomorrow... What's the one thing you would like people to have known about you? Wow. (laughs) I have thought about not leaving my life, but um, having experienced uh, quite a bit of loss lately. Mm -hmm. Wow. If I were to leave tomorrow, that the thing that I would want everybody to know about me is that, you know, I, I tried to be kind to everybody and have a positive impact whenever I could. I like it. That was a nice short answer. <laughs> so far the shortest of all my interviews. All right. My friend Mandy asked, how have you learned to get along so well with people who think and believe so differently from you? I think a major part of that is having actual conversations with people, which is something I think that's been lost. And so many people have become what they call keyboard warriors or keyboard activists, and, and they get into these unproductive discussions on social media. And I've never had a productive discussion that way. And so if, if anyone tries to bait me into something on Facebook or any other type of social media, you know, I, I always defer them. I say, you know what, I, I would love to discuss this with you in person. You know, I, I would love to hear about your life experiences, how you've come to believe and think the way you do and vice versa. Is that, that's what I find is that people get so caught up in the identity politics or in their own belief biases. Mm-hmm. They just start flinging their opinions at each other and then people dig in their heels more and more and, and no one really learns anything versus if I talk to somebody who thinks a lot differently than I do, um, and, and I can think of a, a couple of friends offhand who do, we have great discussions because they may believe something that's the complete opposite of, of what I believe. But when I hear, you know, 
what their life experience has been and how they've arrived at that, you know, it, it makes me more empathetic or at least more understanding to their view. Right. So that's, I would tell people have real conversations <laughs> not arguments on social media. <laughs> Very good. What has been the most influential book in your life? And this is for my friend, Amy. Oh gosh. <laughs> there are so many. This would actually be a good table topics question too. Shh, don't ruin it for my next one. <laughs> I'm going to say that probably initially in the first part of my life, one of the most influential books was The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Mm -hmm. My mom was a huge fan of Norman Vincent Peale and his philosophy of life and way of thinking. Right. So you know, she introduced me to his books fairly early on. And I remember reading them thinking, wow, I mean, this, this is a great way to live basically on how to reframe all your experiences positively and um, to see the positive things in people and to believe in yourself and, put your faith in something. You now in, in his case, maybe talk about putting faith in Jesus. That can be, you know, whatever for different people, you know, depending right. on you know, what life path they follow. It, it, again, it was about being a force for good and espousing that goodness. So that that's really um, what first inspired me along that thinking. And it was very much a model that my own mother followed and lived. Okay. Now this is going to be the last circuit breaker lockdown question and it's for my friend Adrian and I don't think I'm getting any better at this impersonation, but if you know who Harry Carey is, it definitely makes us even better. <laughs> if you were a donut, would you eat yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like if it were like chocolate or Bavarian cream, I, I wouldn't be able to turn it down. Even though it would be you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. The whole thing, just part of it. It's Jarvix again with Make Oklahoma Weirder, and I'm bringing you my hot dog song pick for the episode. I'm hitting you this time with a Oklahoma City area band called chat pile this song is called mask and it's from an ep called remove your skin please so uh, if the title doesn't give it away remove your skin please being the name of an ep that they dropped last year uh, perhaps the band name is a bit of a clue chat pile takes its name from very toxic metals that are in a now defunct Oklahoma small town. There's a whole history about it, but that's a bit of a clue if you're into maybe a music style that has a bit of toxicity to it. This certainly deals with that. It's not your sing-songy indie rock happy music by any means. They're pretty noisy. They're pretty distorted. A lot of it 
chase is more of a visceral feeling of existential dread. It's not necessarily incredibly structured and planned. It may be, but a lot of the especially vocal choices in this feel very off the cuff, very in the moment, very inspired by just a gut instinct. And it's almost primal in a way. And this is music that's probably never going to see the radio. And that's why I like to showcase sometimes music like this. It may not be for everybody, but apparently it is for a certain niche group of music fans out there. Because this band, while not being particularly popular in Oklahoma, is pretty popular on the internet with a certain group of people. They actually got a big shout out last year from a music critic known by his YouTube channel, The Needle Drop, and his picks for the top EPs of the year included this band and its release or releases. They put out two EPs in 2019, and that's all they've put out so far, but it was a big enough of a deal to land in his top 10, despite this person listening to tons and tons of music every year. It's quite a big deal, and they have had a lot of limited edition releases of their music, and every time I see it, it seems like it sells out within a day or two. They're kind of a big deal, but I bet you've never heard of them. So this is a band called Chatpile, and their song that I have picked is called Mask, and I mostly picked it because it doesn't have any cursing in it which I know is something we strive to do with this show. If you do want to venture into more of the catalog, be prepared for quite a few more F-bombs, but this particular track is clean, and you do still get quite a good idea of what these guys are about. It's very raw. It really spirals out of control, and if you're into just that distortion, that underground not caring about the consequences of making music that is not palatable to a general audience, then this is very much for you. And I think I will leave it at that. This is Chat Pile. This song is called Mask, and it's from an EP called Remove Your Skin, Please.
right. Well, if you are interested, Holly is a professional speaker. And if you want to contact her, you can reach out to her at her website, hollystewart.com. You can also join her Facebook group, Holly Stewart Author. Uh, she also has a Facebook group for Heal Our World. So if you want to get involved with getting wonderful messages sent to you daily or at least participate in certain activities, it's going to be the Facebook group, Help Heal Our, Our World. And if you want to reach Holly by email, you can reach her at hollyst, that's H-O-L-L-I-E-S-T at yahoo.com. And be sure to check out her book, Ready to Fly, Volume 2, which is edited by Crystal Blue. This has been Nobody's a Nobody Podcast with Mike McVeigh, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Please check out Chat Pile, Holly Stewart, Heal Our World, Cornish Smokehouse, and everything else that we've mentioned here on the show, because why not? <laughs>